Chapter One of David Wark Griffith, A Brief Sketch of His Career by Robert Edgar Long. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One Boyhood Days. General Jacob Wark Griffith, Roaring Jake Griffith, he was called was an officer whose confederate regiment never did surrender the men simply and individually wandered to their homes as soon as robert e lee had capitulated the home to which general griffith returned was in lagrange kentucky near louisville it was a fine old southern home on a ragged edge of what had been a baronial plantation the rest of it ripped away by the relentless hand of war. Roaring Jake. He earned the appellative because he never let his men in a charge without raising his voice to a height beyond the din of guns and combat. Had something to be proud of in the matter of family stock. There was the ancestral prince, heir apparent to the throne of North Wales, whose father refused to continue to give Edward I of England the obeyance and homage exhorted from his sires. On the other side of the family tree, and in itself forming a particularly strong branch, was the tale of Lord Brangton, who rose with Monmouth and was able, like other noble and worthy gentlemen, to make his way to Virginia Colony. The good wife of General Griffith was an Oglesby of Georgia, and back to her was the Shirley Carter clan. Eight children had blessed this union, Maddie, William Wark, Albert Linden, Annie, Jacob Wark, Jr., Virginia, Ruth, and David Wark. While this narrative has to do chiefly with the last named of the Griffith clan, and next to the youngest, all the children had been nurtured on the same tender ideal that rank imposes obligation, that high birth and dignity go hand in hand with gentleness and kindness and love. The girls possessed those proud, sensitive natures that issue from Belgravian blood. The boys were worshippers of the flaming sword and paid homage to it as the weapon of freedom, honor, and the defense of the home. All the Griffith children were studious. Their father was a highly educated man, and the elder sister Maddie was a brilliant, cultured woman. She it was who gave her brothers and sisters their basic education, ever guided by the parents, under whose direction all studies and thoughts were toward the noble in life and the great in literature. Mattie found in her father an intellect that inspired her, and a character she adored. She never married because as she herself explained she never found a man equal to her father and none of less quality ever would satisfy her as a husband 
the mental infant foods on which the boy David Wark Griffith was sustained were provided through the tender care of Mattie Griffith. The early armor which education and culture compose was given to this slender, sensitive brother. And in the years that followed, when he ventured out on the sea of rocks through which he had to fight, he never bowed his head nor turned back. His stout heart had been warned by the wisdom and unyielding courage imparted through the patient teaching of his sister. But life to the youthful Griffith was not all grammar, Latin declensions, and catechetic instruction. He was one hundred percent boy. The same prank so amusingly representative of boyhood in the characters of Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer found full and complete execution in David Griffith. He had one outstanding characteristic which distinguished him from his brothers. It was a reckless disregard for what he had termed in later life the inconsequential detail. It meant nothing to David that he got up in the morning and donned the first shirt of stockings or boots his eager hands discovered, whose property they were became a secondary consideration, if considered at all. This innocent disregard for the ownership of personal apparel led to a justified and enthusiastically applied whipping in those days of real sport. David and his brother Albert had ignored repeated warnings by their mother against visiting the swimming hole without her knowledge and approval. In one of those frequent recesses observed in the regulations of a country school, David and Albert took advantage of fifteen minutes of sunshine and shied themselves to the coveted spot. In the scamper to get to school, David, true to his occupied mind, jammed himself into Albert's underclothing, leaving his weeping brother on the bank with nothing to do but get on the inside of David's garments. That night, when the youngsters were preparing for bed, Mother Griffith discovered the change in vestments and with the vision of the swimming hole looming large in her imagination she applied the hickory stick with true southern hospitality but frequently the inconsequential detail proved a distinct advantage as when on a certain saturday night his playmate brother albert returned home to delight his vanity and pride in the glory of a brand-new suit of store clothes, only to discover that David, to keep a tryst with fair lady love, had appropriated the suit and was at that very moment strutting about in the admiring presence of his beloved. Time and sleep heal many wounds, and joy cometh in the morning. For the next day, Albert had quite forgotten to take his brother to task for borrowing his royal raiment. And even to this day, David never has volunteered an apology. Now that the two brothers are in business together in New York, 
it may be that on some bright afternoon while motoring from the long acre building to the griffith million dollar studios at mamaroneck albert will turn to his illustrious relative and demand an explanation of the appropriated suit that explanation will have to be deferred until such time as david wark griffith shall write his autobiography without any intention on the part of the present writer to prophesy an autobiography it is quite safe to predict that one of the early chapters might run along something as follows the first thing i remember is my father's sword it was my toy when i clamorously demanded amusement father would put on his gray coat attach the epaulets of a confederate general and clasping on his sword belt would flash his elusive weapon and thrust parry and repost in all the darts and flings of carte and tiers to entertain and awe me that flaming flashing spirit of the sword entered my child mind filled my imagination and satisfied my suspicion that my father was the greatest man in the world the first time i saw that sword was when father played a joke on uncle zeke an old negro once his slave but who with the heads of four other negro families refused to leave the plantation all those four families were mighty factors in keeping the griffith family poor down south the men usually wore their hair rather long uncle zeke who in better days had been the plantation barber had been taken to louisville and had seen northern men with their closely cropped hair when he came back he got hold of my brother albert and made him look like a typhoid fever convalescent when father saw my brother's head just one degree removed from a billiard ball he went into the house donned the old uniform buckled on his sword and pistols and had the negro summoned then drawing the deadly weapon he went through the technical cuts and thrusts and slashes threatening the while to cut the darky up into mincemeat old zeke was scared pale and i was taking it seriously myself until a wink and a smile from father enlightened me so the sword remains the first memory i have of existence end of chapter one